Welcome home. You're listening to the 180 Church Podcast with Dr. Sammy and friends. Dr. Sammy D. Kim is a Harvard-trained ethicist and co-founder of 180 Church NYC. He is a Yale Hastings Scholar at the Yale Interdisciplinary Center for Bioethics and the Hastings Center, where he explores the inequities surrounding health, immigration, and social policies, along with professional burnout. He is also a regular contributor to Christianity Today. For more information, please visit his website at samdkim.com. Just give you a moment to center yourself as we practice the rule of life in some silence and solitude. The first one of the year. As you slowly come before the Lord today, will you slow down and listen to the heart of God and your own heart and follow His leading? So let's exhale. Just all the automatic, ruminating, anxious thoughts. The party is over. <laughs> now we got to live the whole year again. <laughs> Why is that happy? <laughs> but uh, we're going to bring it before the Lord. And inhale the presence of God, His presence, and His peace for us. January 1st, Sarah Young, Jesus Calling. Come to me with a teachable spirit, eager to be changed. A close walk with me is a life of continual newness. Do not cling to old ways as you step into the new year. Instead, seek my face with an open mind, knowing that your journey with me involves being transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you focus your thoughts on me, be aware that I'm fully attentive to you. I see you with a stead, steady eye because my attention span is infinite. I know and understand you completely. I love you. I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Give yourself fully to this adventure of paying attention to my presence. All God's people pray. Amen. Well, welcome back. First day of the year, we're back. That was a nice break. Not for me, anyway. I was at uh, Indiana Bliss. Uh, I don't even know. Um, when someone, they invited me to Urbana this year, they were like, sorry, that's where it is. I was like, okay. Uh, really, there's nothing to do. <laughs> Literally. And the, the sports team they had, I check, is uh, the Pacers. <laughs> Sad. But as we begin the new year, um, I just want to say, besides that, this March, my wife and I would be married for 20 years. Yeah. Two decades. And so long, long time ago, <laughs> when we were just kids out of college, and I was skinny. One night, 
uh, we were contemplating before going to Blockbuster videos, if you, yeah, that was a thing, renting a movie about 20 years ago. An existential crisis, which usually happened on Friday, almost ruined our night because we, don't, we didn't know, we were arguing about what we should eat for dinner. Two kids, you know, barely just married out of college, having the time of our lives. And so we decided a bet would make the most sense. We had a hoop right outside our house that we re rented. I decided to cheat, you know, because I mean, I'm better than her in basketball. She's better than me in everything else, practically. Um, so I won, and the bet was the loser had to carry the other person to the car and go to the place of their choosing, eat dinner there before going to Blockbuster. So my wife goes, a bet's a bet. Climb on top of me. I said, babe, I'm going to kill you. She goes, a bet's a bet. I said, okay, but I don't want to go to a funeral. We just got married, jokingly. So, no, she goes, come on, you, no, I could do it. My wife's confidence, sometimes it's, you know, delusional. So I decided to climb on and we both collapsed on the floor <laughs> laughing. But in some sense, that is the story we find ourselves in, in the season of Epiphany, when the Magi, which the whole world, the ecumenical community celebrates, the wise man finding Jesus, when they arrive to the manger, they behold the mother and the child but what they're beholding is the great reversal. Tell someone next to you, the great reversal. The great paradox. The one that carried the universe into existence 13.8 billion years ago is now carried in the hands of a teenager in our time and day can't even drive or drink for its very survival. The great paradox of the incarnation. And the question is, why? Why does heaven send, in redemptive history, an infant clothed in vulnerability, helpless, rather than awesome power? Power is the only thing in the human species that people understand anyway in the ancient world. Augustus, Alexander the Great, all the great rulers and emperors of the day only understood the brutality and the brute power, but somehow, in some way, heaven and the Father God chooses to revel, to almost rejoice in vulnerability, 
And that's what we want to unpack, excavate from this text. It's to explore the paradox of the incarnation. How does a baby, how can an infant save the world when babies are dying because of this infant, because of Jesus, this Emmanuel's prophecy, Herod commits genocide. How can a baby save the world? It's the great paradox. Tell someone next to you, the great paradox. And that's what we want to explore further. What is vulnerability? What does the incarnation have to do with the nature, the very ontological essence of salvation? Because it doesn't make sense that you conquer the world through vulnerability, through being helpless. What kind of power is that? And the world in 1 AD did not realize the power of vulnerability or the power of love. Because in the ancient world, as we go into this text, there are only two ways you can save it or rule, rule it, right? Power and then the power of love. Subjugation was the only thing the world knew. So let's explore that. Let's go to the text. So as we come to the text, we got both here. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, who came from the Far East, but he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, right, who were two years and under. So God and heaven sends their redemptive plan through an infant, in contrast, Herod's contrast of what and how he uses power. So heaven's power is very different, and Herod's power is very different. So if we contrast their power, what does it look like? What's Herod's approach to power? Well, he consolidates power so that he keeps everybody, what, at an arm's length. So no one could get to him. No one could touch him. So he can be what? Sovereign. And he's even willing to kill children to, keep, to hold on to that power. So he exhibits power. What about Jesus? Jesus eliminates power or surrenders his power even to the point of becoming a child. In some sense, he surrenders and eliminates power so that he doesn't keep people at arm length, but pull them closer to himself. That's why we see the shepherd, we see the magi, we see the, the manger, and we see people coming around him. There are no guards, it's no palace, very different visions of saving the world. 
And if you think about this, Herod dies. And he is Herod the Great politically, but there were times in the New Testament, if you read carefully, they try to make Jesus king by force. You guys remember this in the passage? Jesus heals, Jesus loves, Jesus listens. Tell someone next to you, Jesus listens. Jesus loves. So many people felt understood in God who came in the flesh and brought them closer to his heart that they wanted to make him king, even through political means. It tells you the effectiveness of what really wins. What can really save? The human heart can only be moved and saved and transformed by the power of love. That's the vision we're seeing in the Incarnation. That's the great paradox. That's why the God of the universe is held in a paradox in, a, in infancy, in a vulnerability. Because you can impress people from afar. You can gain their reverence or respect, but you can only change them up close. And I know this, the psychology of power. I am the supreme leader of my household, physically. I'm the strongest person, but yet I'm the weakest. There's not a day go by, is not pick on dad day. Like, where's the respect? I went to Harvard Medical School. They go, we don't care about that. You're dumb. What? I try to lecture my kids. And I'm raising a teenager, and I'm giving the quantitative data about this problem, mental health issues. I'm an expert in this. If you don't know, I'm basically a genius, Nathan. You're so full of yourself. I go, I get paid to do this. You know that, right? Whatever. Why don't you listen? I don't listen. I talk. And, and, and I tried. I tried to help my son change through, the, through power. Yelling, screaming, lecturing. Fails. Never changes the heart. Doesn't engage the heart. Doesn't, it reforms behavior through fear for a day. Then that's three hours of lecturing. It's not very efficacious. It's, 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 it's terrible. But if I don't say anything and I just nod, or sometimes just cry, tears, one time, you know, my son, he has a music career. He came back from a major studio recording a song, and he played me the song. And he goes, Dad, what do you think? And it was just tears. Just tears coming down my face. A vulnerability. And then my son said, are you crying? No. Not cr and he was like, that conveys greater love and change than power, than intellect, than reason, than rationality, than logic. 
that moves him. And I've seen it in my life. Tenderness is what changes people. The Bible says it's the kindness of God that leads us into repentance. It's the gift of tears. Tell tell someone next to you, the gift of tears. Right? Put this picture up. The gift of presence. The gift of presence. So if I have to be vulnerable, you have to be vulnerable too. The gift of presence. And so the question I have for you today, if our Lord and Savior was revealed this way, if salvation came to us through the tenderness I mean you ever touch a baby's bottom I mean so we're having a lot of kids it's soft you probably put it put your face there but you're tempted to you know what comes out of there (laughs) but my question to you today is this how difficult is, is it for us to be vulnerable with others that's where the power lies of salvation if we want people to really experience Emmanuel God with us you have to become like you have to have baby skin I have people tell me all the time that when they share their life with others they go I think I just share too much how many of you ever feel like that raise your hand TMI stuff. I, th- I think I share too much. I think I overshare. I probably, and then you go over through your head. I probably shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have, it made me look like an idiot. No, that why did I say I'm so anxious? I feel like a loser. No, I don't ever feel like a loser. I just feel like a loser now. Why did I share that? You overshare. Listen, if, if you didn't overshare, you weren't vulnerable. Why you feel like that is because you were vulnerable. This is what Henry Nouwen says. I believe it's a profound truth. Christian, the Christian leader of the future is called to be completely irrelevant and stand in this world with nothing to offer but his or her own vulnerable self. That is the way Jesus came to reveal God's love. The great message that we have to carry as ministers of God's words and the followers of Jesus is that God loves us, not because what we do or accomplish, but because God has created and redeemed us in love and has chosen us to proclaim that love as the true source of all human life. Amen? I wonder... Was the Jesus movement successful because of the prophetic prophecies or redemptive history? Or was it simply that Jesus came as the preeminent self without the power? He abdicated the power. He put the power aside through kenosis. But I I wonder, was it just who the Father and the Spirit knew for all eternity before time Jesus himself came as an infant, bare, with, no, with nothing, 
clothed in vulnerability. And that's what changed the disciples. And that's what changed people. Jesus just gave himself. Even though he was God, he gave himself away. Nothing more, nothing less. And my question for us is, if we want to see the power of God in our lives with the message of salvation, with the power of the gospel manifesting in our families and our friends and the world, then that degree will be rooted in our wide vulnerability, which sucks because that's hard to do. And you go, well, Doc, that's so hard. Does it get any easier? Ask someone, does it get any easier? Uh, no, it doesn't. <laughs> does it get any easier to eat vegetables by themselves? They're good for you, though. I still can't eat vegetables by themselves. They must be clothed in meat flavor. <laughs> sprinkle, at least a little sprinkle. But it doesn't get easier because if you become more of yourself in who Jesus is in your life, you become powerful. You become irreplaceable. You become anointed. But it's what we fear most. It's what we need most. It's the most difficult path. It is the cross in the 21st century to show others our vulnerable self, which is difficult, especially like a place in New York City. I mean, if we interview Jesus right before the incarnation and you asked him, yo, Jesus, what up? Did you like the incarnation? Jesus be like, well, not really. What does it feel like to be omnipotent, have complete agency of the universe, than to have none? And I don't know, I mean, this is completely anecdotal. Don't say that I quoted scripture or anything, okay? But I think what Jesus was, it kind of sucked. I mean, what does it feel like, Jesus? To, be, to carry the universe in your hand and then to be carried by a teenager. Escaping Herod, who you can kill, obliterate with a single thought. But you choose to run with this teenager like it, she can protect you? I mean, you, 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 you love her, you get it, she tries. But it's not great protection. It's like, remember, well, you guys, some of you might remember, it's like in the 80s, they told us to go under the desk to practice for you know, a nuclear bombing from Russia. I said to my teacher at third grade, I don't think this is going to help. And he said, Sam, stop it, stop. Stop telling the truth. We just want kids to die in peace. No, Jesus in the incarnation, had to endure it. That's what the Bible tells us, that he endured the cross. He endured the incarnation. 
but he did it for the sake of love. Was it worth it, you ask him? That's a different question. Yes, but it wasn't fun. And I think that's particularly why the American church has very little power show up in our lives because we're clothed in impressiveness and awesomeness and clothes from Grail and Burberry and Prada. We're clothed with heaven's clothing. That's why you need to pick up just a 180 hoodie for Jesus' sake. No, we're, we're clothed, we're, in, we're masked up in the swag or the standoffness. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want others to reject us. Who wants to be rejected? So, just this past week, I'm turning now 43, 43. It took 43 years for me to grapple with my age. But one of the things that I dislike about birthday, especially my own, is I don't want to ask for anything. My kids always have, what do you want for your birthday? And I say, nothing. Because literally, I don't need nothing, but no. And my son would go, be, be the smart out. Yeah, but what do you want? I'm like, oh. Because a want is, is something different, right? What do you imagine? It's a moral imagination. What do you want for your birthday? Very different than what you need. So I have no needs at 43. I just want a peace of mind. <laughs> I just want to remember if I shampooed my hair or not. That would be a great birthday gift, God. And then I, you know, I told some of the, the, the men, married, I was like, you know, let, let's just grab some sushi any time in the month. Some of the guys, you know. And then we were going through the text and we're like, whoa, maybe we can meet next year. There are kids, there are obligations, there are jobs. I'm like, you know what, let's just do it next year. And then someone said, but what if we did it at 1 p.m. in the weekday? And I was like, no, we're not doing that. We're not going to ask doctors to come to New Jersey for a sushi buffet or other people working, you know, or not at 1 p.m. to come because that is asking for a lot. For me, that's more uncomfortable because I have to ask for your presence. That's vulnerable. Someone can say, I can't do that. And then you're like, you. (laughs) But at the same time, there's a a dualistic tension. You want that, but you don't want that because it's vulnerable. But then everybody started responding, no, we're going to be there at 1 p.m. And it's a great gift. And it's awesome to fellowship together, but at the same time, it's don't ask. Okay, ask. Don't ask. Okay, ask. For me, that's the greatest difficulty. I don't want to be a burden. How many people here want to be a burden to someone else? But tell someone next to you, you have to be. You're like, no, you can burden me, but I don't want to be a burden to you. 
right? And that's how Jesus felt when he had to be carried by Mary, running away from Herod. He felt like a burden. First time, the omniscient, the omnipotent second person of the Trinity ever felt like a burden. But if our Savior, if our High Priest cannot empathize that feeling of what it means to be carried or be a burden to someone else, what it actually means to be human. Tell someone next to you, humanity, tell someone next to you, humanity has limits. I mean, I hate that I have limits. Why can't I remember everything I read anymore? I used to be able to do it until 28. Now, look, I have my phone. I have my notes because sometimes I'm like, I don't remember. <laughs> At 28, I could remember everything, literally everything I read. Now it's like, what's the president's name? Oh, yeah, Joe. Joe by, oh, yeah, right. Like, limits. And when you have limits, you do become a burden as you get older. When you're younger, you're a burden. When you're older, you're a burden. But who wants to be a burden? But there's a part of salvation here. There's a part of salvation here that cannot be unwrapped without being a burden, without being carried. So, the first thing, and I want to give you two things because I think that's what I forgot. See, I forgot the first, the first point. Let's put the first point up and then I'll go back. Okay, read it with me. Although the human heart can be what? It can only be what? So that's the first thing. The vision of the gospel is not conquering, but winning the heart. You can subjugate through fear. Hitler did it. Caesar Augustus did it. Alexander the Great did it. Many did it. But they're a footnote in history. Jesus takes a whole book, 66 of them, because he conquered through love which was a different vision, which was alien to the world. That's the first thing. So part of salvation is it has to be tender. It has to come up close. You can't keep people at arm's length. God didn't do that. He brought us close to himself and loved us, saw us, and understood us. That's the first thing. So again, the second lesson is what? Okay, and this is important. This is what I was just discussing. Part of salvation is what? It's being carried by others, whether you like it or not. So I know for some of you, this is ingrained because you are just, you know, I'm my own man. I'm self-sufficient. How many people feel like that sometimes? Raise your hand if you're one of those type of people. I'm good. I don't need your help. And you do this swag, you know, you know, you're like, oh, you know, I'm fine. And then you're dying inside. That's something we have to unlearn if we want, because salvation is just not a one-time moment in history. It's, it's a continual process. If we want the power of God moving in our own lives, 
we also need to be carried. Salvation is part of being carried by not only the grace of God and the cross, but by others, by community. Which means we have to utter those words we don't want to say. I need you. Tell someone next to you, I need you. Tell someone, I need you, bro. I need you, sis. I need you, bro. Regardless, I need you. I need help. Like, I don't like being needy, but you are because you're human. You have limits. To human is to error. To human is to be, to be in need. And salvation will not come unless we are carried time to time this year and carry others time to time this year. And that's when the power of God shows up. That's when the power of God showed up in history. For the Christian, this year, will you surrender to the way of Jesus and the way of love and let, your, let our crazy ego go and let others in? Be needy. Don't be like crazy needy. I'm like, every day, I need you. <laughs> then you go see someone else, get professional help. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about those moments when you really need to say, I need to talk to you. I need you to pray for me. I need you to listen. I need you right now. That's also salvation. That's the Christian. We have to learn to continue to walk in weakness so that Christ's power is made perfect in our weakness. We need to continue to walk in weakness so that we know the power of community. That we didn't save ourselves. Jesus saves us and then community carried us home. Part of the way. For the, for the seeker, well, that's going to be where the penny drops for you. I need to be saved. I need to be carried. I'm good. Oh, my friend. My friend. We're all mugged by reality, and then you come to a point when you go, I mean, you do it time to time anyway. God, if you just let me get through this. But this is like the major event where you go, I need you in my life. That's that willful pride, willful blindness, where you have to admit, I, I do need you. I need something. I need more than myself. And that's when the power of the gospel, and that's when the presence of God comes. More powerful and more overwhelming than you'll ever know. Amen? Let's stand. I'm going to read this quote as we close today. Christina Jeske, professor of anthropology at Wheaton College, says in an EMQ article, God chose to enter into the human race through his son, Jesus Christ, and the method he chose was not one that we would have considered safe by any means. Born as a baby, susceptible to pain and tears, and every human experience, Jesus becomes flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. His first sleeping place was a barn. In his first months of life, his family became refugees. When he began his ministry as an adult, life was scarcely more comfortable. Without a home of his own and few clothes for his body, he spent his time with little privacy and relied on others to supply his basic needs. Our model is Jesus' own dependence upon God and the community around him. Folks, anything against the vulnerability is resistance to become greater, the best, your true self that God has made you to be. Let's not waste time on pride and selfishness. And let's just say to someone, I say delusion. Say, don't be delusional. Like, don't be delusional. No, I got this. I got this. I, get that etymology out of your mouth. Small groups, I give you permission to wash their mouth with soap. That's the real curse words, profanity in the human life. I don't need you. I'm good. I got this. I can handle this on my own. I am on my own and I'm good. I'm happy on my own. No, you're not. You were created to be in the presence of God and you were created to be in the presence of others. So will you lift your hands with me today? And will you surrender today your own pride, our own pride, our own need to put on anything else but ourselves? And tell Lord, tell Jesus today, tell the Father, I want to be carried by the grace of God and I want to allow myself this year to be carried by others and experience the grace of God in my life. Let's make this our prayer.
Father, uh, this, this year, at the very beginning, you're calling us to be okay, to be okay with being human, to be okay being tired weary, and even burnt out, can't do anymore. But it's an erroneous and demonic lie that you have to do it all alone. But that's how it works, that you have to get go through it on your own, to handle it on your own. The question I have for you as we close is if Jesus had to be carried, if Jesus learned to be a burden for the sake of the world, how much more do we need to? If Jesus had limits and he allowed others to take care of him financially, physically, and that was the expression of redemptive history. God made flesh. So rather than just looking at Jesus, today Jesus is saying, hey, stop looking at me. Stop only looking at me. Come walk with me. Come walk and follow my ways. Become like me. I'm sending you into the world because the world still needs my presence and I'm sending you. So this year, I pray that when you're tired and you're weary and scared and lost, You'll be carried by God and carried by others. That's a value.
Let's bow our heads for the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Our God's people say, Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.